Ruth chapter 1. Those of you who don't have a Bible, you need one for this service. So please raise your hand and the gentleman in the back will deliver. There's one. Okay. Um, yes, everybody needs a Bible because I'm going to be asking you to find some things in the course of this sermon. So, um, Will, one over here, please. Everybody will, will need to be looking at the text. So uh, Ruth chapter 1, Ruth is in the Old Testament after the books of Moses, then Joshua, Judges, and Ruth right before 1 Samuel. For those of you who find it painful to stand up, please stay seated. But uh, for the rest of you, uh, if it's not inconvenient or too painful, please stand and we will honor the word of God as I read. Ruth chapter 1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Mahlun and Chilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and both Malon and Chilion died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that Yahweh had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May Yahweh deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. Yahweh grant you that you might find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that, may, that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say, I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait until they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of Yahweh has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Where your, or your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. 
and there I will be buried. May Yahweh do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the woman said, the women said, is this Naomi? And she said to them, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. I went away full, but Yahweh has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when Yahweh has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity on me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her, who, who returned from the country of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. You may be seated. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, this is your word, written before you were born, and yet you were in charge of all these events. And they show us you. So speak to us now. Help our minds and our ears to focus on what you have to say to us. Help us to hear you. Help us to love you. Help us to align our ways with you this morning. This is your time. We dedicate it to you. And we ask you to work. In Jesus' name, amen. I'll begin with an illustration. Imagine a miner mining for silver, and he works very hard digging out silver from the ground. And for each kilogram of silver that he gets, he digs out and throws away 100 kilograms of other rock, which he calls the tailings. One day, a mineralogist comes to watch the miner work and to give him some guidance. He says to the miner, do you realize that the rock that you're throwing away is platinum ore? There are many ways we could approach the book of Ruth. How to stay alive in famine. How to help somebody cope with multiple tragedies. How to be the talk of the town, or how to not be the talk of the town. How to help the poor. But the book of Ruth is not a how-to manual for anything. It's a story. Some men that we trained in Mexico said to us, we thought this was just a love story of no theological value, so we never preached it. No, Ruth does help us understand both man and God and how we can relate to God. Is that what God wants us to do, though, here, to extract theological truths? That's like extracting the silver, but leaving something of greater value in the tailings. Yes, the theological truths are valuable, and they take a lot of work to refine. But God is giving us something here of greater value. The story itself. So I want you to suck on the story and feel the sweetness or the bitterness in it. Don't let your own agenda, what you expect to get from Ruth, limit the grace that God wants to pour into your life. He may have bigger things to give you. A common error of Sunday school teachers, including mine, was to look for moral examples. Let's be like Ruth. Let's be like Boaz. His name didn't come up in chapter 1, but 
those of you who've read the story know that there's a hero named Boaz. Let's be like Boaz. Or let's not be like Naomi. Or it's opposite. Let's be like Naomi. But all this is too simplistic. Naomi, Ruth, and Boaz are different personalities from you. And they lived in a different time and place. To try to be like them usually means to isolate some quality of their character, such as faithfulness, or diligence, or generosity, or kindness, humility, boldness, patience, and urge people to emulate that, be like that. But God is here giving us a story. And a story is not just a vehicle for theological truth or moral example. The story itself is valuable. The story shapes our understanding of ourselves and of God and the world that he has put us to live in. The book of Ruth is a small story inside a bigger story. Naomi, Ruth, and Boaz each have their personal story, and God weaves their stories together into a beautiful, happy ending. But even this is just part of a much bigger story that God is telling in salvation history. Likewise, your life story is a true story inside the big true story of what God is doing throughout history. It's God's own story, which focuses on his son, Jesus Christ. And God tells this story with beauty and skill, just like the writer, the storyteller of Ruth. So the book of Ruth begins with just the bare facts, and I'm going to ask you to start looking right at verse 1. In verse 1, notice the only names are place names. A man moves his family from Bethlehem in Judah to Moab to survive a famine. No people are named until we get to verse 2. In verse 2, we get the names of the four Judahites and a re-emphasis on the contrasting places, Bethlehem in Judah versus Moab. Notice that that's in verse 1 and again in verse 2. Then in verse 3, a death. Elimelech dies. And the focus of the story is already on Naomi. We're already feeling with her. And the rapid action continues. Two marriages, ten years, two more deaths, all within the space of two verses, verses four and five. And then the writer zooms in, at the end of verse five, on the lone survivor of the original family, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. What you've just seen is called fast-paced narrative going real fast. This is not background info. This is the story. And I want you to feel the story. It produces some powerful emotions. Perhaps you're feeling those already. What if you were Naomi? Have you had Naomi moments in your life? You young people, if you've not yet had a Naomi moment in your life, you will sooner or later. Or perhaps this morning, you are right now 
in a Naomi moment. Beaten upon by grief after grief. Now at verse 6, the story slows way down. And the writer wants us to see the characters revealed in the moment. Through the words of the people themselves. The writer says, Naomi arose to return. See that in the beginning of verse 6? It was a big decision. With all the males in her family deceased, she has become the decision maker for the family. And this may be her first major decision, and she feels the weight of it. But it's a decision of hope. It gives the reason in verse 6. For she had heard in the fields of Moab that Yahweh had visited his people and given them food. She'd heard a good good news rumor. We don't know from where, but that gave her hope, and now she's going to move. Of course, the daughters-in-law go with her. Naomi's sons had each paid a bride price, and these women are now permanent members of her family. They must obey Naomi, but she is responsible to provide them with seed for offspring. But Naomi has no male left in her family to give them seed. Walking along, Naomi thinks about this. Suddenly she stops and gives her daughters-in-law a command and two blessings. Look for those. The command and two blessings. First, the command. Go, return each of you to your mother's house. That's abrupt. Blessing number one. May Yahweh deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. See that in verse 8? The second blessing comes in verse 9. Yahweh grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. What a shock. She's telling them to go away, to leave her. Is she angry? No. She loves them so much that she wants what's best for them. Even if it leaves her alone and desolate, she kisses them goodbye. I'm feeling the emotion now. Perhaps you are too. They sense her love for them, her sacrificial courage. She has blessed them in the name of her God. She has thanked them for all their kindness to her and to her dead. She has called upon her God to give them what is best. New husbands. And all these things make make them love her all the more. So they weep aloud. Their next response is both normal and shocking. They refuse to leave her. It's an answer of love, but it's also direct disobedience to her command. Remember that they have been bought with a price and they belong to her. Their culture requires that they obey her. How dare they disobey? Naomi doesn't become belligerent or try to force her will. She becomes more tender And she reasons with them, bearing the very thoughts of her heart. It is her moral and legal responsibility to provide them with children by providing them seed from a male. All her male relatives are dead. And she's too old to bear any more sons, even if she were to remarry. And they can't wait for the babies to grow up and be their husbands. So Naomi shows how absurd it would be to expect husbands from her. To stay with her probably means 
to never marry again. Against such a choice, Naomi says at the end of verse 13, No, my daughters, it is exceedingly bitter for me, for your sake, that the hand of Yahweh has gone out against me. Naomi is finally showing us and her daughters-in-law her deepest pain. Her own losses were devastating. But now she can't do her duty to supply them husbands. Husbands she lovingly and desperately wants them to have. Why not? Because Yahweh, Yahweh has acted against her. Perhaps you too at some point in your life felt that God has turned against you. He made things bitter for you. Perhaps it was for known sin in your life. Or perhaps like Job, your conscience is clear and you're baffled why he's against you. Either way, you were sure that he was against you. Some of you may feel right now that God is against you. If so, pay attention. If not, you pay attention too. For such a day may come to you. Let's take it one step worse. Suppose you're persuaded that God's anger at you will also harm those that you love. It will ruin their prospects for a bright future. The best thing for them is to leave you, to get out from under the cloud of Yahweh's wrath that hangs over your head. You would rather bear his wrath alone than see dear ones suffer because of you. That, my friend, is a Christ-like impulse. Naomi found herself under the harsh hand of God and chose to bear it alone. That was like Christ, except that Christ deliberately put himself there for us. That's what the cross of Christ is about. Jesus chose to go under the wrath of God, to be rejected, forsaken, in agony, but not for his own sins. He suffered God's wrath in your place for your sins and for my sins, so that the payment for your sins and mine would be finished and we would be forgiven. So Naomi, in loving sacrifice, chose to be alone under God's frown. Was it a sin for her to think that God was against her? Or that he would deliberately bring pain into her life? I don't think so. Whatever your opinion on those difficult questions, we can't doubt the loving intent with which she commanded Orpah and Ruth to leave her. So they joined her in her desolate sorrow with loud weeping. And you see that in verse 14. Then came the moment of decision. Orpah, with sweet kisses and much love, submits and obeys. Nice girl, her culture says. But Ruth remains in rebellion. She defies Naomi's command. Now, now, Next, Naomi makes her third appeal to Ruth. Verse 15. And she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. You hear the command one more time? Return. Ruth responds powerfully with a request 
Six promises and an oath. And here's where I want you to see this in the text. We're looking at verses 16 and 17. First, find her request. She's got two parallel phrases. Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. Ruth can't command like Naomi, so she requests politely. Don't ask me to leave. Then here come her six promises. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And number six, there I will be buried. Now I want you to look at those four promises and find how many of them, which ones, are answering the question, where? Okay? Of these, of these six promises, which promises are answering the question, where? Look in the text. For where you go, I will go. That one is, number one. Where you lodge, I will lodge. That one also is answering where. Your people will be my people. That one's answering the question, what? And number four, your God, my God. That's also answering, I'm sorry, not what, but who. Number three and number four are answering the question, who? Five, where you die, I will die. That one's also where. And number six, there I will be buried. That one's also answering the question, where? So of her six promises, four of them are answering the question, where? That makes sense. She's starting out on a journey. And the issue is, where are you going? Where are you going to end up? Where are you going to die? But the two in the center, number three and number four, are who questions. This is the core of what Ruth is saying. Your people will be my people. And your God, my God. Notice this is directly answering Naomi's urging for Ruth to go back to your people and your gods. Why had Naomi urged that? Like Orpah, go home to your people. What's the backside of that statement? My people will likely reject you if you go to Israel. You're a Moabite. Second, like Orpah, go home to your gods. What's the backside of that? My God is angry. <clears throat> Ruth answers, my people will be, or your people will be my people. My God, your God. She is throwing away her people, her gods, to commit herself completely and fully to Naomi's people and God. And she seals that with an oath. See the oath now in the end of verse 17. May Yahweh do so to me and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. She's invoking a curse on herself if she leaves Naomi. Now Naomi was trying to distance Ruth from the cursedness she feels she's under. But Ruth is reversing that and saying, no, if I leave you, let me be cursed. So what's the result? Verse 18. Ruth wins. When Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said, no more. <clears throat> she accepts 
Ruth's strong decision and becomes silent. So the two widows travel on and arrive in Bethlehem, where Naomi pours out her bitterness against God to the local women. Just as the barley harvest is beginning. Now, why does the writer mention that moment on the calendar? Do you see that at the end of verse 22? The chapter ends, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. This is the beginning of God's display of his generosity toward these widows. The annual barley harvest always begins on the same day, First Fruits Day, which is the Sunday after Passover. So Passover reminded Naomi and us of God's salvation as he rescued his people out of the slavery in Egypt through judgment, through judgment on the Egyptians, through judgment on any household that did not put the blood over the door for protection. And the death of each Passover lamb pre-pictured Christ, the sacrifice who was given for us to save us through judgment. And First Fruits Day itself was the day that Jesus would later pick as his own resurrection day. This is Easter. So Naomi and Ruth are arriving in Bethlehem on the day that Jesus is going to pick for his resurrection. So there you have it, Ruth chapter 1. The story has begun. And I leave you now with five requests. Some of you may consider this homework. If you don't like the word homework, just consider it as privilege, opportunity. Okay? Number one, read the rest of the story. It's very short. There are only three more chapters, and they're all shorter than this chapter. Well, chapter 22, or chapter 2 has 23 verses, so it's one verse longer. But all the other chapters have even more action than this chapter. It's a quick read. Enjoy it. Taste it. Meditate on it. Second, as you read, suspend quick judgment. Things may not be as they seem. Perhaps Orpah's obedience is not as righteous as it seemed. Perhaps Ruth's rebellion is not as wrong as it seemed. Perhaps Naomi is thinking wrongly about God. But perhaps not. We're not seeing the whole story yet. I want to give you a hint. Those two blessings that Naomi speaks in verses 8 and 9. May Yahweh show kindness to you. And may Yahweh give you husbands. Those set the agenda for the rest of the story. Third request, besides reading it and suspending quick judgment, suspend judgment on your own story. You remember nothing about your beginning, and your end is not yet in sight. You do not know what blessings now in your life will prove to be snares later on. And the backside of that is, neither do you know what hardships now in your life or tomorrow will prove to be blessings to you in the long run. Fourth request, consider that God is working out his bigger true story even in the details of your life. 
Therefore, even before you grasp all that God is doing, and you may never grasp all that he's doing, align your story with his story, your plans with his plans, as best you can. And that's the message of this sermon. God's got his big story. It's up to you to choose, to try, to align your story with his. This requires embracing the supremacy of Christ in your life. He made you to begin with and is still shaping you lovingly, like a potter shapes a pot. Eagerly submit to his hand of shaping. That involves brokenness and repentance on your part. I need to come to Christ daily or even more often and say, I sinned against you. I'm sorry. Forgive me. Wash me afresh. Change me. This also requires embracing Christ's sacrifice for you. He suffered torture and death on the cross to pay for your sins to buy you to himself, to bring you into his family. So accept his embrace. Thank him. Treasure him. Now regarding day-to-day decisions, you will need to seek God's guidance to align with his plans. That's why he gave us the Holy Spirit. His ways are not simple. You have to meditate on them. Psalm 107 gives four cycles of different situations, and then it has a, a little confusing part. Uh, verses 33 to 42 describe Yahweh various bringing, variously bringing blessings on some and hardship on others in unpredictable ways. But here's how it concludes. Whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Let them consider the steadfast love of Yahweh. So my fifth request is this. Yes, whatever twists and turns his steadfast love may take, whatever he brings into your life, let's trust him. His big story ends well as he has promised. And that's why first and foremost, we must join with him, whether we understand it or not. He wins, and those who love him win as well. So trust him. Rejoice in him by faith, even before you see him and his outcomes, because Jesus reigns forever and ever. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for story that you don't just give us data and commands and facts. But thank you that you help us reflect on our own stories. You teach us from your big story. You teach us from small stories within that big story. Help us, please, to choose to align our stories with yours. To be joined to you personally. To have your spirit working and living through us. Lord, this is salvation. This is joy. This is fellowship. This is assurance. And this is protection from evil. Lord, we want to align our stories with you closer and closer. Forgive us for where we have failed. Forgive us for our sins. Forgive us for our offenses against you. Forgive us for our rudeness to you. 
Help us to treasure you and love you and embrace you. For those to whom this is confusing or new, please help. Help them to ask one of us questions or to bring doubts. Lord, you are gracious and welcome our doubts. Thank you that you welcome us to yourself. Give us faith, lead us. And now guide us with your blessing as we go forth. Accept our praise now in Jesus' name. Amen.